You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in a moment, but we begin tonight with breaking news of a wildfire burning on Mount Seymour above North Vancouver. Take a look. The fire was first spotted just a couple of hours ago on the west side of the mountain near Rice Lake, not far from the second switchback on Mount Seymour Road. The smoke can be seen from across a large part of Metro Vancouver. Because of the location, which is on a steep hillside, crews from the BC Wildfire Service are now taking over the fight. Talon Helicopters is attaching buckets to its fleet and is dropping water on the flames. In addition to that bucketing, more aerial support has arrived. Five skimmers and one support plane are now also over the area. Of course, we'll keep an eye on that breaking situation and bring you more details as they become available. Now more breaking news, details of a deadly multi-vehicle crash just west of Revelstoke that's shut down part of the Trans-Canada Highway. Our Jordan Armstrong is live in studio with the details on this tragedy. Sophie, the crash happened uh, this afternoon, early this afternoon, and sparked an intense fire which consumed at least two vehicles. But amazingly, the fire did not spread to the nearby forest. The collision happened about 22 kilometers west of Revelstoke. BC Ambulance says paramedics treated five patients. Three were taken to hospital. Police at the scene tell Global News two people in a westbound vehicle did not survive. The highway remains closed and there's no estimate of reopening. It was a terrible scene because uh, traffic was backed up probably at some point one mile on, in each direction or a kilometer, I should say, in, the, in each direction. And everybody was wondering what was going on, but then all of a sudden uh, the tires started popping. You could definitely hear it. The, uh, it was a, just the sound of the fire uh, uh, licking at the tires and just sort of blowing it up. Um, and it was a really thick smoke, as you can probably see from the video I shot. No information yet on the two people killed or the cause of that crash. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Jordan Armstrong reporting live tonight. Well, time is running out for both sides to review a mediator's terms to settle a 12-day-old strike at BC Ports. While employers and the union have been publicly blaming each other for the stoppage for almost two weeks, today, silence. Kamal Karamali is live with more on what's next and the pressure to get a deal done. Kamal. Sophie, there is a glimmer of hope at this hour that both sides can find some common ground. That's after a federal mediator gave their recommendations on some of the main sticking points. Now, both parties will review and have a chance to either reject or give that proposal the green light. If they don't, there's a lot to lose. As dock workers continue to walk the picket line to kick off day 12 of the BC port strike, negotiations also took a big step forward, with a federal mediator sending both sides recommended terms to settle the dispute, terms that would need to be approved by the International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada and the BC Maritime Employers Association. Good morning, everyone. But while talks progressed, patience dwindled. Business groups calling for a resolution. The labor disruption at our ports is fueling inflation and rising costs. 
It's hurting our international reputation as a stable and secure trading partner. Revealing what they call a port shutdown calculator, a running tally of the supply chain closure, adding up to roughly $9 billion Wednesday. Every day this strike that drags on adds weeks to recovery time for a supply chain and could f further erode market confidence for our overseas customers. The Canadian Automobile Dealers Association says they're not just facing delays on new vehicles, but car parts held up at the ports is adding to the chaos. People not being able to fix their cars, that's the engine that drives the country and keeps our healthcare system running, our hospitals, our police services. We need those parts to come in through the port of Vancouver so we can fix cars. Federal leader of the opposition also calling on the two sides to make it work. Our first goal is to get the workers and management together for a fair deal that works for both the employees and the employer so that we can get our goods moving again. Failing to mention what his party would do differently while BC's premier has chatted with other premiers on the impacts they're feeling. It isn't just the port of Vancouver, it's the port of Saskatchewan, it's the port of Alberta, it's the port of Manitoba. Uh, so it's critically important infrastructure for Canadians. Both sides have up until late tomorrow morning to make a decision on the proposal provided by the federal mediator. Uh, but local businesses say that if mediation fails, that they want the federal government to pass back to work legislation or they risk losing billions. Back over to you. Kamal Karamali reporting live for us tonight. Well, it was expected, but that doesn't lessen the pain of another rate hike by the Bank of Canada. With rates now at their highest level in more than two decades, the increase will have a major impact on many Canadian families who are already struggling to make their monthly payments. John Hua reports. For struggling families, it's like a financial Freddy Krueger. Ominous news from the Bank of Canada, keeping so many British Columbians up at night. Today we raised our policy interest rate by 25 basis points to 5%. Another hike in the key interest rate, a living horror, forcing some to choose between rising mortgage payments and putting food on the table. It's over a $1,000 difference actually, so it's quite significant and a lot of people have been having to make sacrifices. As variable rates continue to climb, some are left to bury themselves deeper financially in a desperate bid to survive. I'm definitely seeing people dig into their line of credits and credit cards a little bit more. Let's take a trip back in time five years ago and say you took out a $500,000 mortgage at an attractive five-year variable rate of 2.5%. With a 25-year amortization, that's a monthly payment of $2,243. At today's rate of 6.25%, things get a little bit heavier at $3,298. That's an extra thousand bucks plus change. Now let's be real, here in Metro Vancouver, the average mortgage is probably closer to $700,000. Even five years ago at 2.5%, that was a heavy monthly payment of $3,140. At today's rate of 6.25%, Imagine a family having to scrounge up $4,618 every single month for some. That's a crushing blow. There is a, a strong argument to make that the rate increases are having their effect, uh, but it seems to be having the effect on people who can least afford it. 
Some economists say, make no mistake, the Bank of Canada is trying to do harm. It's really just doing this because it thinks it should. It's, it's actually uh, ill-advised. With many British Columbians having nowhere left to financially run, they can only fearfully wait while at the Bank of Canada's mercy. John Hua, Global News. Well, the who's who of the LNG industry are in Vancouver this week to talk about its future. It's been a decade since Christy Clark won an election with promises of a booming new LNG industry. And now, as one project is finally inching toward completion, there are big concerns about future facilities. Erin MacArthur reports. All the big players are here from around the world. Included in the mix now? is Canadian LNG, a $40 billion investment about to pay off. With that mid-decade cargo, we're going to be birthing Canada's LNG industry. And not just that, it will be the lowest GHG emission facility of this size anywhere on the planet. There have been as many as 19 proposals for LNG facilities on BC's coast. So far, only one. Canada LNG is under construction. Wood fiber near Squamish will begin construction this year, with the government giving environmental certification to several others. While proponents of LNG tout BC's lower carbon intensity, the emissions will still be higher than they could be. The Kitimat plant will use natural gas to fuel the liquefaction. According to green energy advocates, emissions would be twice the 2030 sectoral targets set out by the BC government. Wood fiber plans to be carbon net zero from day one. The major technology difference is that we're electric drive, and that dramatically brings down the emissions of liquefaction. But to fully electrify BC's LNG industry, it will require more electricity than BC can make. According to the Pembina Institute, the province would need three times more power than the Site C dam can produce. What's the best use of that power, and how should it be prioritized? In our opinion, it should be prioritized towards economic sectors that are aligned with where the world is going, and that's net zero. BC Hydro recently put out a call for additional generation, but in order to meet consumer demand, the electrification of other industrial users as well as the LNG sector, the government fully aware of the limitations of BC's generation and transmission capacity. I am not at all confident uh, that our province uh, is, uh, is on track to provide the level of electricity needed. We have the ability to electrify at the pace that BC Hydro sees is appropriate and we are absolutely committed to meeting them when the electrons are available to move forward. Canada is poised to take advantage of international instability to provide LNG for export, but the country's total output will be limited by a lack of clean energy to produce liquid natural gas. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Premier David Eby creating a bit of buzz today about the future of the RCMP. While at the Premier's meeting in Winnipeg, Eby said provinces are seeking clarity from Ottawa about the path forward for the force. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, this stems from growing concerns over those mounting vacancies in the RCMP and, of course, the decision expected on the situation mm -hmm. in Surrey next week. 
Yeah, and that's why EB's comments today creating a bit of a stir, just basically on the eve of that decision we expect next week. EB and other premiers expressing concern today with the future of the RCMP, again, over those vacancy rates uh, and a high attrition rate. So the premier, again, saying this situation in B.C. currently is unsustainable, which does not bode well for those who want to keep the RCMP in Surrey. Here's the premier. We don't see a clear uh, path from the federal government about uh, filling those vacancies. We have the largest uh, RCMP contract force in Canada. Uh, there's a clear direction from the Prime Minister to his public safety minister to start the conversation with premiers. The uh, contract as a whole is up uh, in the early 2030s, uh, and we need to know which direction the federal government is going with contract policing. Uh, because the current situation is not sustainable for British Columbia and, it, and, uh, and one of the benefits of being around this table is I get to hear from other provinces and territories as well uh, and similar uh, concerns coming from colleagues and, uh, and that's why it's in the communique is we need that clarity from the federal government. So here's the problem that all prov provinces face when it comes to the RCMP. The RCMP graduates about 600 to 650 people uh, from the Regina Depot Training Centre every year, but about 850 to 900 people currently in the force retire every year. So the gap between recruitment and retirement is about 200 a year across the entire uh, country. In BC, you just take a proportion there. It seems to be an unfixable problem, which again does not bode well for the government making a decision to go back to the RCMP in Surrey. We expect that. An announcement next week. And based on the Premier's comments today, hard to square those comments with going back to the RCMP rather than going uh, another direction with Surrey Police Services. We'll see you next week. Well, uh, Surrey residents have been waiting a long time for a decision on this, so we'll see what happens next week. Thanks, yeah. Keith. A long time, Mountie is challenging a hiring decision by the RCMP. It's one that allegedly breached an agreement made with the agency following years of sexual harassment. Catherine Urquhart reports. Accompanied by her lawyers, Sergeant Jill Swan walks to federal court in Vancouver seeking a judicial review. The longtime Mountie is challenging a decision by the RCMP, one that allegedly breached an agreement made with the agency following years of sexual harassment. It impacts people around you, your home life, your activities, your occupied thoughts, um, your energy. In 2017, Swan filed a civil suit saying the RCMP failed to provide a safe workplace. Harassment against her included a supervisor sending her condoms after the birth of her child, calling her meth face and commenting about her weight. The RCMP acknowledged her career had suffered as a result and agreed to give her priority for future advancement. But when she applied for a job with FSOC, federal serious and organized crime, she didn't get the job, despite meeting requirements, says her lawyer. Swan was uh, denied a promotional opportunity that she should have had by applying criteria that the, uh, the decision maker just made up. They were not in the job description. In court and in filings, lawyers for the respondents, including government on behalf of the RCMP, claim Corporal Swan did not have any experience with national or international organized crime investigations, including leadership or oversight of such projects. I trained at the FBI Academy for three weeks. During her 26-year career, she has also worked as a crisis negotiator and arson investigator. Even after years of harassment, the sergeant says she still loves the job. You really get to help people, and you get to help people in a time of need. 
and you get to make a difference. As for Sergeant Swan's court challenge after being passed over for promotion, Justice Walker has reserved her decision. It's expected in the weeks ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A terrorist mother is calling out WestJet for the way she was treated on a recent trip home. Why there were officers on the tarmac waiting for her and her six-year-old son. Next on the News Hour. It's just like riding a bike. 50 years of the Gastown Grand Prix as the big race returns after a long pandemic pause. And sorry, stargazers, why despite predictions to the contrary, the Northern Lights will be a no-show over Metro Vancouver this week. Right now, though, an Indigenous mother from Terra says she was profiled while on a WestJet flight because of her tattoos. She was heading home with her son, whose face was bruised from a medical procedure, and when the plane landed, they were met by police. Kylie Stanton has the story. When your child needs surgery, anxiety is at an all-time high. Then add travel. Flying, I'm scared of flying. I hate it. It is my biggest fear in the world. So when it was all over, Brittany Draper thought she could finally breathe a sigh of relief. Get home and there's cops waiting on our tarmac for us. On July 7th, Draper was on a flight from Vancouver to Terrace with her six-year-old son, Israel James. Upon boarding, she had notified the crew he had just undergone reconstructive surgery on his eyelid at BC Children's Hospital. He needed to be carried onto the plane. If they had concern, they should have brought it to my attention, and I would have provided any documentation they needed. I've got paperwork. Like, if they had concerns, they should ask first. Instead, Draper says the crew notified police, along with airport management, out of concern for her son's safety. My heart dropped when I got off the plane. I was like, am I getting arrested? Like, what the heck is going on right now? Like, it was just mind-blowing. Draper says she was questioned at length and went as far as providing the paperwork to prove her son had, in fact, had surgery. And while they let her go, Draper believes she was profiled. I do because of my tattoos. A lot of people profile me for my tattoos. They just think I'm a bad influence or I'm a bad person just because I have tattoos. And it's like, that doesn't make you a bad person because you have tattoos. In a statement, WestJet sincerely apologized for Draper's experience. Going on to say WestJet cabin crew members are trained to ensure the safety of everyone on board the aircraft and to identify issues concerning guest welfare. Out of an abundance of caution and care, they followed procedure in consultation with the flight crew and WestJet's corporate security. They do have protocols in a place, like I understand that, but I don't think it's right. People shouldn't be judged just because of the way they look or how they act. Draper says she has filed a formal complaint with the airline, but is still speaking out. She doesn't want to see anyone else go through what she did. I just wanted other people to know just so that they're aware that stuff like that does happen. <laughs> it might be a big shock, but it does happen. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A memorial has been unveiled to honor the five people who died in the horrific crane collapse in Kelowna two years ago today. The emotion evident as dozens turned out to remember the victims. Four construction workers, Kaylin Vilness, Jared Zook, pa Patrick and Eric Stemmer, were, also were all killed. Brad Zavislak was also hit by the falling crane as he worked in a nearby building. Although there are no results from an investigation from either WorkSafe or the RCMP, a recent lawsuit alleges the manufacturer sold a defective product. I'm kind of caught in a 
between a rock and a hard place because I want the RCMP to do what they need to do and do it well. Um, but it's, it's very trying as a mum to not have that report in my hands saying this is what happened. It's hard to get closure. A permanent memorial will be built at Knowles Heritage Park just a few blocks away from where the tragedy occurred. Up next, the unique challenges of searching for someone with dementia. When we search for people that have dementia, we have to search very, very um, tightly. How search and rescue teams are partnering with the Alzheimer's Society in hopes of better outcomes. Good evening and good news. Final clearing stages of a crash here in Coquitlam at the intersection of Mariner Way and Dudney Trunk. Today's Lotto 649 gold ball jackpot is $24 million plus a classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. High above a crash in Coquitlam. The search continues tonight in the Coquitlam area for a missing woman with Alzheimer's. Many people who go missing these days are suffering from dementia. And as Janet Brown reports, a new partnership has been formed to help reduce the risks. The lady was last seen in this area, and all the various colors are tracks of our members. Search and rescue volunteers are on day three looking for 69-year-old Cheng Li Feng, who has Alzheimer's and was last seen Monday morning before 9 in the area of Harper Road and Shea Street on Coquitlam's Burke Mountain. We follow the models for a dementia search. Often they will continue in the direction that they were last seen. They'll usually be found within a very close distance of where they were last seen. The terrain in this neighborhood varies from residential to construction sites to dense forest, making the search difficult. Stu, are you able to tailor your searches for people with Alzheimer's? Yes, we, we have experience searching with people with Alzheimer's or dementia, as well as other teams, and we focus on behaviors that have been exhibited in the past. RCMP are on foot and in the air, searching. And neighbors are rallying too. They say Cheng Li Feng recently moved here from Shanghai. The Alzheimer's Society of BC says there are roughly 40 searches a year for people with dementia, and the numbers are only expected to increase. Over the next few decades, the number of people living with dementia is going to increase by 218%. Recently, the Alzheimer's Society and the BC Search and Rescue Association signed a memo of understanding to work together to reduce the risk of people becoming lost. We're working with BC Search and Rescue Association to provide education and training to search and rescue groups so they can understand how to communicate with somebody living with dementia, signs and symptoms. Residents of Burke Mountain are encouraged to search their properties, including any outbuildings and sheds, for any sign of the missing woman. Janet Brown, Global News. Well, BC's premier bike race is back. After four years of cancellations, elite cyclists from around the world are taking a spin on the historic cobblestone streets of Gastown, hoping to take top honours in the Gastown Grand Prix. Our Troy Charles is live in the mix with more on the excitement. You hear the uh, uh, anthem behind you. Troy, this marks the 50th anniversary of the big event. Yeah, Sophie, back in 1973 was the first running of this legendary race, and we're using roughly the exact same course here today, including the hairpin behind me here connecting Water and Cordova Streets. And as you mentioned, 
National Anthem playing right now as the women's pro race is just about to kick off. 60 riders doing 42 laps of the course and first prize taking home $12,000. The start finish line sits right at Camby and Water Streets with riders passing the steam clock then ripping down Cordova and back up Water Street. Race continues to attract athletes from around the world with 13 countries represented here today. As mentioned, the Grand Prix is back after a hiatus to celebrate 50 years in Gastown. And earlier, I caught up with two old rivals who battled it out in that first race in 1973 with Bill Wilde taking the win as Max Grace followed close behind in second. The idea was that uh, the, the finish line was much closer to the bottom corner here. Um, and first through that second to last corner, was probably going to win it so we both knew that and uh, uh, unfortunately uh, for me um, Bill made it through there first. Well, he knew I was going to do it because every race I do it in last corner before we get to it I'm going flat out into the corner so that's two corners that was and that way I always made sure I was coming out first of which people closed on me but it was very difficult for them to pass me. As mentioned, that women's race, the starting gun is about to go off any moment here. And after that, the men's pro race will begin. And expected around 30,000 spectators lining the streets of Gastown, cheering on the riders in this much-anticipated return to this prestigious event. Sophie. Nice to see it back, Troy. Enjoy the race. Fred Charles reporting in Gastown. Coming up on the news hour, an emotional end to a coroner's inquest. There's finally somebody that could look me in the eye and acknowledge me and acknowledge they made some mistakes. The jury's recommendations after hearing about the death of Barry Schantz also ahead. I almost wouldn't call it a booster dose anymore. It's more an updated uh, dose of the vaccine. Ramping up COVID protection and what BC's pandemic looks like now. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but still dealing with some leftover volume after clearing earlier problems on the east-west connector. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A coroner's jury has come back with recommendations following the death of a man shot dead by police in Lytton. Grace Key has more on the outcome and reaction from family. The jury in the Barry Shantz coroner's inquest has made two recommendations. Improve services so a qualified mental health professional with access to medical records can support a crisis negotiation team and encourage agencies to coordinate available mental health resources during a mental health crisis call. I'm certainly glad that they focused on the mental health aspect of things. Um, but what I'm concerned about is that it seemed very broad and generalized. And I've come up with recommendations that uh, uh, prevent in uh, what uh, Barry experienced, which was a fundamental breakdown in the system when it came to providing him with 
mental health resources. In January 2020, police shot and killed 63-year-old Shantz when he came out of his Lytton home with a shotgun. His partner called 911 saying he was suicidal and had a weapon. He fired a shot from a second-story window. It was later determined damage to the ease was likely from the gun. Finally, it's accepted that Barry didn't shoot at police because that's been one of the um, red herrings, if I put it like that, since the outset to justify this kind of paramilitary response. Emergency response and crisis negotiation teams were called in for the six-hour standoff. Jurors heard how officers were unable to reach a mental health professional. I guess the biggest thing is the mental health professional, that they didn't get someone there and that it wasn't, it didn't seem to be a priority. Janet, Barry's partner, had recorded a message for him to try and de-escalate, uh, but they said they didn't have time to play it, even though she was interviewed at, you know, at 12, or they had it by one-something. They didn't send that through to Barry. Barry was asking to speak to her. Barry couldn't get hold of her. The Independent Investigations Office, the province's police watchdog, found lethal force was justified. The inquest does not find fault, but makes recommendations to help prevent similar deaths in the future. Grace Key, Global News. The National Advisory Committee on Immunization is recommending everyone get a COVID-19 vaccine shot in the fall. But BC's top doctor says this should no longer be considered just a booster. Richard Zussman has more. It's been shot after shot after shot. Hard to keep track of whether it's been a first, second, third, fourth, or even fifth dose of a COVID-19 immunization. Now health officials are pressing the reset. I almost wouldn't call it a booster dose anymore. It's more an updated uh, dose of the vaccine. Come fall, the BC government will once again be offering protection against COVID-19. This shot will be tailored to the Omicron variant. And previous vaccines provide very little protection to the strain. We saw a lot of changes in the virus over the first three years. But once it, it changed to Omicron, um, again, we saw some changes, but it's been relatively stable. On Tuesday, the Federal Immunization Oversight Group, NACI, recommending a dose of the new vaccine formula be offered to people in authorized age groups this fall. But although BC is targeting those over the age of 65 and those who are immunocompromised, everyone will be able to get the shot. The challenge is demand for the vaccine has waned with each opportunity. A lot of people just put their hands up and said, well, I don't know if I'm meant to get it, I can't get it, and it's just, it's all too much. And so we need to make sure that we get rid of all the possible barriers that we can get rid of. Most people will end up getting their next vaccine at a pharmacy, although the province will continue to use community health centers. And this time around, people won't be told when they can and can't get that shot. Even though we may be in a lull now, it's, it's something that we need to be wary of and be careful of as we look towards the fall. Health officials continue to monitor transmission of the virus, noting cases and hospitalization have gone down. But when respiratory illness season may reappear is a bit of a guessing game. We're likely to see a surge again come the fall. We still don't know a lot about that and we're watching very carefully what's happening in the southern hemisphere. The hope was a combined flu COVID shot would be rolling out in the fall, but it's not yet ready. Richard Lewis from Global News, Victoria. A sign it's never too late to go after what you want. Michael Pantelaresco. <laughs> How this high school graduate is making his dreams come true. A celebration decades in the making. But first, why despite an earlier forecast, the Northern Lights won't be putting on a show this week.
There it is, first time since 2019, Gastown Grand Prix back on the cobblestones of the Gastown neighborhood. This is the women's, the pro women's race. They do 30 laps, a total of 48 kilometers to see who uh, crosses the line first. And of course, the men starts at 7.30. The men do 42 laps, which is 60 kilometers. This is also the 50th anniversary of the bike race in Gastown. And if you can make it down to Gastown, on foot is the best advice. Uh, it is quite a spectacle to watch. Returning to our top story now, a wildfire continues to burn on Mount Seymour just above North Vancouver. Take a look. The fire was spotted just a couple of hours ago on the west side of the mountain near Rice Lake, not far from the second switchback on Mount Seymour Road. The smoke can be seen from across a large part of Metro Vancouver. Because of the location on a steep hillside, crews from the BC Wildfire Service have now taken over the fight. District of North Vancouver uh, fire crews are also helping the wildfire service. Talon Helicopters has been dousing the fire with water for the last hour or so, and at least five skimmers have been spotted flying over the fire as well. Officials say they don't believe the fire was human caused. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon. Uh, we've been talking a lot about lightning and thunderstorms in other parts of the province, Christy. Not sure what we've been seeing here in Metro Vancouver, though. Yeah, so Sophia, I've been looking at all of the lightning uh, sort of maps that I can find, and I'm going to show you one right here. And it doesn't look like there's any lightning over that area, and nor has there been throughout the afternoon hours. So I am very curious why the BC Wildfire Service has said that it is lightning caused, because it doesn't seem like it to me. Yes, there are a ton of lightning strikes up towards Whistler, and certainly all through the interior region today. Uh, we have had numerous uh, um, severe thunderstorm watches and warnings in place. There's still watches in place highlighted in orange and we've got numerous lightning strikes all across the region but right over the North Shore Mountains it doesn't look like there has been any so uh, I, um, we'll sort of watch to see how things develop with that but uh, in the meantime when thunder roars ahead indoors everyone we've had uh, incredible uh, thunderstorms across the region. Right now it looks like everything is dying down and we're not expecting much. This was the scene further north. It was intense the smoke so much so that it was not sunny in Quinell, uh, Prince George. We're expecting that to continue into tomorrow. In fact, that smoke is spread further west towards the coast, and we are expecting a surge in heat in the coming days. It's not until early next week that we're expecting temperatures to drop and bring in the potential for a little bit of rain. And at that, it is just a little bit of rain. So in the meantime, the heat continues, and we're see, we'll see widespread smoke in the Caribou and the Central Interior region, and we. We have a risk of thunderstorms in the southern interior again tomorrow afternoon. For our region, it's a transition day, but the real heat will move in Friday, Saturday and Sunday before the chance of rain moves in on Monday. Still days away for that rainfall, so we'll refine it as we get closer. Tonight's center windows weather window coming to you from the Abbotsford side of the Mission Bridge. Beautiful shot of the sun setting there. Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks, Christy. Bad news for Vancouverites. There won't be a spectacular Northern Lights show tomorrow night after all. On Monday, a forecast by the Geophysical Institute at the University of Alaska Fairbanks showed a solar storm late Thursday night. The storm would make aurora borealis northern lights visible in several areas across North America, including Vancouver. However, one expert says that has changed. The Earth is a moving target, so, so the scientists kind of, well, it, it looks like it could hit, so then they, they made this prediction. 
Uh, but really, it's pretty pretty random when it happens, and you you could get of order a few days notice. Uh, there's times when the solar activity is more than usual. All right, uh, let's check in with Jay Jenner, Jen or no. Hey, so far, the, uh, it's okay. There's a lot going on. The uh, BC Lions delivered a home win at BC Place on Sunday. We'll see if the Whitecaps can do that tonight against Austin FC. Austin is fifth in the West. So how will the Caps go about doing that? So the more we possess the ball, I think uh, the more chances we have in order to win the, the, the game. So our midfield and our uh, back three, so uh, we'll have to be very, I gave away the tactics. Uh, we'll have to be, uh, we'll have to be. We'll head down to BC Place after the break and check in with Asa just prior to the first touch against Austin, which goes at 7.30. Also ahead tonight. I found it very thrilling. Everybody was rather excited. I didn't think it was going to be that much of a, an uproar. He missed out on his high school diploma all those years ago, but now as an inspiration to others, proving it's never too late to go after your dreams. All right, Double J here with sports. Thank you very much. So Vancouver Whitecaps will continue their homestand tonight as they host Austin. LAFC will visit on Saturday. Then it's the MLS break uh, for League Cup play, and that'll end off the month of July. Of course, Vancouver blowing that 2-1 lead to Seattle on the weekend, falling 3-2 on a late goal. They're still clinging to the ninth and final playoff spot in the West. Austin FC, as mentioned, a comfortable fifth. For more on tonight's game, let's head down to BC Place, where Asa is set to call the game at 7.30 on AM 7.30. Yeah, Jay, two teams heading in different directions. The Vancouver Whitecaps have lost their last two. Meanwhile, Austin FC coming into this one red hot. Undefeated in the last four, three wins and one draw in that span. And they've outscored their opponents 11-2 to in that uh, four-game stretch as well. I'm joined now by color commentator Colin Miller. Colin, what do the Whitecaps have to do to stop or slow down this potent Austin FC attack? Well, I'm giving away one of my keys of the game tonight, Asa, but we have to stay with runners. And by that, I mean this Austin side they attack from all areas of the pitch so players have, have all been given a defensive responsibility I think it's going to be really important in and around our 18-yard box we have to be tight and match runners throughout the team. Ryan Gold has been red hot for the Vancouver Whitecaps as well on the attacking side of things what are you expecting from him in this game? He's been a breath of fresh air, really, hasn't he? For, for so long in this season, he's been the catalyst for so many good things the Whitecaps have done. Not to lump too much pressure on, on Goldie, but uh, I think that when he gets the ball, he's looking to create all the time. And uh, he's built up a terrific relationship with Brian White, of course. And, and uh, I think between the two of them, we'll be able to create chances against an Austin side that are very, very good going forward, but very suspect defensively. The last one, the first goal, always important. How crucial will it be for the Whitecaps to start this one strong? They have to. They have to. Coming off such a, the manner of the disappointing defeat on, on Saturday against Seattle Sounders, uh, so disappointing, of course. We have to start well. The crowd has to get right behind the team. The team has to give the crowd to something to get behind as well, Asa. I think it's really important. There's a lot of pressure on the Whitecaps tonight to get this three points. We have to get this result. And uh, I, I believe that... If we start positively, we'll see the game out. Yeah, hopefully a bounce-back performance for the Vancouver Whitecaps. So they can pull something from the previous time these two teams played. It was a nil-nil draw, so defensively, hoping for a similar showing here at BC Place. Back to you, Jay. Thank you very much, Asa. Vancouver Giants head coach Michael Dick is moving on up. Dick has been a... Uh 
Young coach has been rumored to be heading to the pro jobs in the past. He is going to join the Toronto Marlies of the American Hockey League in the upcoming season. He's coached Vancouver since the 2018 season. He is highly regarded in the coaching world. Just too good of an offer for Dick to pass up. We wish him the best of luck. And no doubt we will see him behind an NHL bench one fine day. Wimbledon today. Russia's Serena Zabalenka, semifinals bound after dispatching American Madison Keys in straight sets. She missed last year's Wimbledon at the All England Lawn of Tennis Club when they banned Russians from participating. So she was back this year. The year before, she made it to the semis. She also reached the semifinals of the French Open this year. She won the Aussie Open. Her record at majors is a very impressive 17-1. Just look at the power gain that she brings to the court. Her win today improves her record in Grand Slam quarterfinals to 6-0. and oh. Next up for her will be sixth seed Ons Jabur of Tunisia. Of course, she beat Bianca Andreescu on the weekend. Rina Zabalenka off to the semifinals. On the men's side of the draw, Christopher Eubanks, magical run. Boy, did he have it going on. But it came to an end in today's quarterfinals. The 27-year-old American was the last unseated man standing in singles play. He was taken on Daniil Medvedev, the third seed in, 2000, in 2021, U.S. Open champion. Russian took the opening set 6-4, but then Eubanks put up a storm in the second and third sets. He ran away the second set 6-1, broke Medvedev at 3-1, used a big forehand, and as you saw, a very soft touch at the net, took the third set 6-4. Medvedev didn't have any answers as Eubanks brought it hard. Sure looked like we were about to see another monumental upset at Wimbledon this week, but he just couldn't keep it going. Medvedev regrouped in the fourth, went to a tiebreak, and that's where his Grand Slam experience paid off. Took the uh, fourth and then cruised in the fifth. He will face Carlos Alcaraz, the number one seed in the semis. What a great run, though. Very good run. All right. Very good run. Thanks, Jay. Up next, graduation day for a senior citizen. All right, Jordan Armstrong back with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, we are keeping an eye on the efforts to put out that small fire on Mount Seymour. We'll also hear from people in Prince George, where, as Christy mentioned earlier, the air quality has plunged in recent days, and the wildfire smoke doesn't show any signs of letting up. Also tonight, the cost of the new Peony Amphitheatre has skyrocketed. The new price tag on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks, Jordan. An Ontario man crossed the stage last month to accept his high school diploma. It took some time to get there, but as Global's Fraser Snowden explains, the journey made it extra special. Yeah, touching this railing is very nostalgic. It's, it, being Even being here feels like I've never left. It's a special moment for 65-year-old Mike Pantelaresco. He was a student here when it first opened in 1973. Almost 50 years ago. 50 years ago. What year was it? 1977. I left this school. That's a long... Oh, there I am. And because he was a student back then, he was enlisted to help with their 50-year celebration. But for that many years, something was missing. When Mike says, I never, I never finished my diploma, right? And I thought, oh, that's so sad, right? Like, you know, he had to do what he had to do. But wanted it. You, you, you taught me a few things before I left. When Mike left GL Roberts, it wasn't because he finished school. I was offered a full-time job as a butcher. Something that back then would have been promising, but he always wondered. A lot of regret, too, because my friends are graduating. They're telling me what their experience was, and I thought, I wasn't there. I should have been there. When the current principal, Don White, heard that, she kicked things into high gear. 
and helped him on his path to graduation. She got a hold of Sarah McDonald, who uh, runs the Adult Learning Center here in Oshawa. And between the two of them, they got me set up for courses in schools, and Sarah got me set up in college for courses. Michael Pantaloresco, secondary Fast forward months of hard work. <laughs> Success with a special guest, his former principal, handing over the diploma. Uh, to give the uh, diploma to a student who left the school after being here for three years plus. And uh, I found it very thrilling. Everybody was rather excited. I didn't think it was going to be that much of a, an uproar, but uh, it was quite an applause and it made me feel like one of the family here again. Principal White says it's her hope his perseverance will inspire others. I think it was a good way to indicate and show everybody that when you have a dream, um, it doesn't matter how long it takes, you can fulfill that dream. And help more people achieve their dreams. Fraser Snowden, Global News. Well done. Very true. Yep. Very well done. All right, we'll give you the last word, Christy, as we uh, have a, a number of situations in BC right now. Yes, yeah, so the thunderstorms in the interior are starting to settle down, although there's still some watches in place, but no warnings, which is good news. Uh, still watching the fire course near uh, Mount Seymour. It's been a bit gusty today, so I'm sure that's not helping things much. Um, and for our region, we're going to see the surge in heat in the next couple of days, so we don't have any significant rain expected until potentially Monday. But hopefully we do get significant rain on Monday. <laughs> and you won't yes, catch me saying exactly. that normally. <laughs> have a good night, all.